Hello and welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People, where I sit down with a truly remarkable individual and we get to hear their story. This is a special episode. It's in partnership with Priority on O2. Priority brings customers a collection of exclusive invite-only moments just for being on O2. From daily treats that make you smile to once-in-a-lifetime experiences to share with the ones you love. My guest today, well, he's a true inspiration to so many of you. He overcame an incredibly difficult start in life to become a lifestyle entrepreneur, mind coach and writer. Some of his wise words have included, wish people well, their success will not limit yours and the best revenge is living your life authentically and being happy. They certainly are words to live by. So it may not surprise you that his book, Good Vibes, Good Life, was an international bestseller. I'm so excited to welcome to the podcast, Mr. Good Vibes himself, Vex King. Oh, thank you for having me. I love that intro. <laughs> Did you like that? Did you yeah, feel love that. honoured? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's funny because um, when I knew you were coming on, I say coming on in speech marks because we're still in lockdown and yep. we're on Zoom. Part of me was a little bit sad because you are my kind of person and I would have loved to have met you in person and done this in a studio. But I was trying to rethrain my thoughts and think like you. And I thought, <laughs> actually, the positives is you know, we're all going through a tough time at the moment. I've been up and down myself. And what a great time to connect with somebody like you, you know, in a lockdown when we need to look at the way we're thinking. We need to be more mindful of how we're feeding our brains. Um, So it's a blessing, even if we're not together. Definitely is. I think, well, after this interview and after the quarantine's over, I'm sure we'll connect physically in real life. Um, But I think the quarantine period is such a great time, like you said, for people to just reflect and go inwards. And you see, like, around my area, I see a lot of people going for walks, um, Mm -hmm. going on bike rides. And that was stuff that was kind of fundamental to my growing up. And it's nice to see that people, especially kids, aren't glued to a screen and they're actually Mm -hmm. living out in nature and enjoying themselves. Because I believe that, although, for example, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, although social media is great, Um, And it's helped my career a lot. Mm -hmm. When we're glued to our screens so much, our minds avoiding the present moment. We're almost conditioning ourselves to live somewhere that doesn't really exist. Mm -hmm. Right. So what we then do is condition ourselves to either live in the past or in the future, because we're living in places that aren't happening as they are. Um, And When we live in the past, we tend to overthink. And when we live in the future, we tend to get anxious about things that haven't yet happened, but we start traveling there mentally. And that's why I think the quarantine period is actually conditioning our minds in a very refreshing way. Because it's surprising, isn't it, how many of us, without knowing it, are so uncomfortable with the present tense? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a scary place for some people to be. Yeah, definitely. I think, like, the quarantine... um, People, actually, I want to I want to relate this to myself. Back in the past, I was obsessed with entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. so I felt like I constantly had to be busy and constantly had to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realised that was that was almost like a trauma response to my past. So, um, just a brief history of my kind of <laughs> my life. Um, I grew up in a town called Northampton, and um, 
six months after I was born, my dad passed away. And then my mum's business with an abusive family member went bankrupt. And then mm-hmm. um, we faced like tons of violence and racism. And our past was pretty dark and gloomy. And we struggled to make ends meet a lot of the time. So we suffered mm-hmm. uh, financially quite a bit. And when I was younger, I was obsessed with fixing that because yeah, we didn't have, yeah, escaping all that hardship. So I really wanted to f- kind of find a way out. And I always thought that the money was going to be the answer to all my problems. Because society sends you that message. Yeah. And yeah. especially like when you're struggling to meet and make ends meet and you're struggling to put, or my mum's struggling to put food on the table, I know that money can provide that kind of security. Mm-hmm. So I was obsessed with making money and I was like, when I'm older, I'm going to become an entrepreneur um, and I'm going to make lots of money and we're never going to have to suffer ever again. That was my mentality. Um, Almost wanting to take the pain away from your mum. Yeah, definitely. Because all I'd I'd witnessed my whole life was seeing her struggle and trying to make us happy almost. Um, So, yeah, I tried to, you know, I, I... I started studying other entrepreneurs and a lot of people said that you had to work really hard, which is true. You do have to work hard if you Mm. want greater things in life. But then that's the message at school in the education system. Yeah, yeah. you're constantly fed that message. And I just started becoming a workaholic, Mm -hmm. right? Give me an example of what a day would have been like when you were a workaholic. Well, it's not necessarily... in terms of like what I was doing, I could be sitting in front of a computer, but what I'd be doing is as soon as I'd wake up, I'd be logging on to the computer, doing things, trying to learn new skills, trying to find certain ways to do certain things, which is all great. Mm. But then I'd be logging off at like 3am in the morning. Wow. And you critical I'd, of yourself as well. And I was very critical. I was like almost mm. like a perfectionist. And, um, you know, I continuously remained busy. But when you constantly remain busy... You avoid living in that present moment. You actually Uh stop appreciating the journey because all you're trying to do is get to another place, a place that doesn't exist yet, a place that you've traveled to within your mind. Uh With the quarantine, I think what's happened with a lot of people is that they're forced to take a look at why they did certain things. Uh And if this was me in the past, what I would do is look at myself and say, why why do I need to be busy all the time? Uh What's the reason for this? What am I running from? Yeah, what am I running for? What's the purpose? What's the end goal? And then suddenly you have to confront, you know, your old conditioning, the the thought patterns that you have, the way you, you've grown up and, you know, maybe how you're kind of neglecting your well-being and your needs and mm-hmm. maybe how you're not necessarily being authentic at the same time. But some people would struggle to do nothing. I mean, I, I've, re- I've read and reread your book um, and I know you talk about meditation in yeah. one of the chapters and it, you know, it's almost become fashionable. People talk about it, but actually it's not something that's easy to do. It's not just something you can pick up and decide to do. It's kind of, it's, is it a discipline? Is that is that the right word? I think it is a discipline, definitely. I think with meditation, I think we put too much pressure on how we should be meditating and how we understand meditation. For example, there's like, you know, I probably don't know the total number of ways there is to meditate, but there's countless ways to meditate. Mm. And monks, for example, they'll meditate all day, but their whole goal, their whole purpose in life is to kind of ascend to um, high, higher spiritual places, right? It's mm-hmm. to escape. So a lot of people believe that you have multi, uh, 
a series of kind of life cycles. And for them, it's to kind of reach reach the end so they don't have to reincarnate into a new life cycle. But not everyone's goal is to be a monk and have that kind of monk-like life. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes we'll look at a monk and we'll be, we'll be like, oh my God, that seems a little bit overwhelming, that whole stance of them being in the lotus position and mm-hmm. sitting quietly for like three hours on the trot. <sighs> That's not practical for every single person. I've got a meditation technique within my book, but I think Mm. there's so many different meditation techniques that you can use. And just to find one that works for you, a really simple one or just a really simple way to actually start meditation is just becoming aware of your breath as you breathe, take deep breaths in and out. And as you breathe in, just be aware of your breath. And then as you breathe out, be aware of your breath. And then if your mind starts wondering, it's easy, obviously, when you close your eyes, but if your mind starts wondering, just put your awareness straight back to your breath. And mm-hmm. literally, it can be as simple as that. Anything you do with conscious awareness is actually meditation itself. Yeah, yeah. So I think for me, I have tried meditation, but I think I always go back to exercise and running yeah. because then I'm just focusing on one, two, one, two reps yeah. where I'm heading, you know, and there's no other chatter. And I think that's a completely valid way of actually meditating. And, you know, exercise makes you feel good. So the biggest or the best test you can do to see if meditations actually um, had an, a positive effect on you is pay attention to a event that might have triggered you in the past and uh-huh. see if you feel any different in that particular uh-huh. event. So there used to be certain situations, for example, if someone said something racist to me, you know, uh-huh. that would trigger me. When that I was little, yeah. I would like run towards them and maybe uh-huh. like do a flying kick or something you know that Mm. was my that was my response back then and now if that happens I kind of just I I don't even react really I kind of just laugh it off I think and I just so that aggression has left you yeah that childhood it's interesting you talk about your childhood because you know I introduced you as Mr Good Vibes and you're almost synonymous with this term good vibes now I think (laughs) even before the book you know obviously the book is good vibes good life um but I wondered had you always been like this had you been this person and you know your, your childhood was far from easy you know like you said your father passed away there were financial struggles there was violence um I actually wrote down this line from your book um and you said I often felt hurt by the world and I wanted to hurt it back yeah and I thought this is really telling and really strong because on paper you've got every reason to have gone into a gang to have ended up in prison to have hurt other people and stood up in court and used your background and childhood as your reasoning and I've met people that have done that you know I mean through my charity I meet a lot of people that have been victims of acid attacks yeah and the kind of people that have attacked them have blamed childhood and and lifestyle and stuff so you know the name of my podcast is extraordinary people and you've led this extraordinary life and you're doing extraordinary things now but it is how did you come from that to Mr Good Vibes and were were you ever not a bad person because I don't believe a bad person exists it's all about our environment and how we're conditioned I think who were you then yeah I think I think you've just put um, made a really important point that I don't think there's anyone that's really well, inherent to, inherently kind of evil as such. I think people are I just agree. misled, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's quite easy to get misled when, you know, you're conditioned in a certain way, you go through certain experiences. And 
you know, I've gone through my fair share of troubles and um, I've actually, I, th- I think what it comes down to is everyone has a choice at the mm-hmm. end of the day. I've, you know, I'm not perfect now. And in the past, you know, I made a lot of wrong choices. And I think everyone does because... Like what? What what wrong choices did you make? I think, you know, I kind of hung... Uh, uh, yeah, I hung around the wrong people, I think, at times. Um, mm. I got, you know, you said... You were talking about gangs now. I wasn't part of a, a kind of a big gang, but I did... I, I was involved with certain things um, mm-hmm. you know, that I shouldn't have been involved with. I saw, you know, a lot of people um, suffer physically. Um, you know, I was hurt and I hurt people back at the same time. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, there were there were things that I didn't do that I'm not very proud of. Um, mm-hmm. But all those things have kind of shaped me into who I am now. But right. one key point for me, or one key kind of um, point in my life was that I wanted to seek a way out. And I spoke, uh-huh. uh, you know, I spoke about poverty before, but one thing I really wanted to do is I just wanted to get out of the neighborhood I was in. And, you know, I didn't want to end up like, and, you know, no offense to anyone that was around me then, but I didn't want to end up making those same mistakes as everyone else. And I didn't uh-huh. want to feel like I was only able to do certain things in my life. And the trapped. Only, yeah. The, but mm-hmm. the only problem is, is that when I spoke to other people around me, um, about you know my kind of vision for the future, mm. they would just write it off because they would say, "Look, Vex, you know, this is who we are. This life is who we are, and mm-hmm. there's nothing better for us out there." And then I started doing more research, and I started to realize that there were people out there who had a life that was much worse than mine, right, but were okay. still able to create amazing lives amazing escape and leverage and yeah so I thought to myself well if they can do it why can't I do it and then Uh I realized that actually it just starts with me changing my mindset Mm. and I suppose from that age when I was 15 years old I spent a good 10 years I would say actually changing my mindset because the other thing um, and I think it's really important to mention is uh, mention this is that rationally it makes complete sense that a positive mind gives you a positive life Uh A lot of us trick ourselves to think we're being positive when we actually don't feel positive inside. Yeah, because sometimes that is a movement that is misinterpreted to painting on a smile, being happy, which is kind of never experiencing genuine emotion. And it's almost being dismissive of issues and not experiencing this full spectrum, which is, I just think, suppressing stuff in denial. Isn't yeah, it? it's literally denial. It's running away from things that, you know, you really need to confront. Yeah, and I think you're almost cultivating it and letting it stay exactly, and move in. And, exactly. Yeah. You're, you, without knowing it, you're actually nurturing that that yeah. feeling inside of you and what happened to me was that um you know I was putting on this front of being this positive person and I was writing positive things but at the same time I was kind of you can look at someone's twitter and you can see actually <laughs> where they are um internally what I was doing is I was, I was preaching about being positive but then every few days I'd be in a bad mood and then start moaning about how unfair the world was and I think that was kind of my true nature like a then. roller coaster of it tweets, was literally yeah. like so much so many inconsistencies um but then I really hit the lowest point I think I've ever hit in my life and that was you know I don't talk about it a lot it was um battling with like suicide or depression what why what what led you to feel that you that you couldn't go on I think that's a deep place to yeah be, it was it? a very deep place um so I was experiencing I think many problems all at once 
Right. And then I started contemplating on all these problems and mm-hmm. started evaluating my life and going through my past and realizing actually nothing ever went well in my life. And mm-hmm. it was easier to focus on the things that weren't going well or never went well than the things that so did. So feeling resentful or? Resentful and also unworthy, I think. Because I thought right, I'm never so going to be, yeah. yeah, and my confidence was at the ultimate low. And then I just completely isolated myself from people. I sat in a dark room for hours upon end. I didn't want Which to... is very typical in males because it males is... don't connect and discuss They this. don't. And you're taught, right, from a young age. I think um, I went over 15 years without crying, I think. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah. Dry eyes. Yeah, literally. <laughs> literally. Like, even if I wanted to cry, I think I was so numb that I literally couldn't cry. Yeah. And I think it's probably from my childhood where someone said men don't cry, or you just kind mm. of. And the other thing is, is that my dad, you know, died six months after I was born, and I, I was told that I was a man of the house. You know, after that, obviously not <laughs> six months old. Do you mind me asking how he died? So yeah, so it was just a, it was a natural cause. It was just tuberculosis. Right, okay. Yeah, but, um, yeah, so I didn't really, like, you know, people talk about their parents. I, I don't, can't put a voice to my dad. You know, I've never had mm. any um, experiences of him. I've only, you know, witnessed pictures or seen pictures tough, of him. Isn't it? it is tough, I think, and it's t- it's not having that kind of guidance there and then having a single mother to, to three kids mm. as well. And she'd only just moved to the country, so she was still learning kind of English, um, mm. Or speaking fluently, and then you know you had to grow up fast, didn't you? I had you to grow, and... yeah, really fast. Um, and and it was tough, but you know, I don't. And it's strange to say this, but I don't regret anything in my past because if I didn't go through what I went through, I wouldn't be doing what I do now. I would have mm. no inspiration to write a book. I would have nothing to write mm. about. I wouldn't have gone internally to kind of address these wounds I don't think I would have even to the point where I you know I I tried to take my own life I don't wish anyone to be in that position and that's Mm -hmm. a strong kind of motivation for why I do what I do but at the same time I'm I'm so and this sounds so strange and you know I I hope I don't offend anyone by saying this but I'm really grateful now looking back back at it that I Mm. went through that because now when people come to me with their problems or they talk about their problems, I can actually almost meet them at that level because I know You've how they there. feel. I've I've been yeah. there. I know when your brain almost stops working. And although I do talk about positivity and I although I do feel good for most of the day, not every day and not mm. all the time, but although I do feel good, I know that you can feel, it's normal to feel sadness and you shouldn't feel bad for feeling sad and you shouldn't mm. try and hide it and you shouldn't try and run away from it. We'll get back to my interview with Bex King in a moment. This exclusive episode is brought to you in partnership with Priority. Priority brings O2 customers a collection of invite-only moments just for being on O2. From exclusive access to the best in entertainment to daily treats that make you smile, and once-in-a-lifetime experiences to share with the ones you love. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. I did wonder, like, how is it for you now? Because where you're at in present day, you know, you're very successful, you're you're well-known, you're a published author, you're Insta-famous, and, you know, the, the whole branding around you, like you said, is around positivity. And I wondered if you have days now where you question positivity, where you question good vibes, and actually is the expectation to be eternally positive very difficult sometimes, especially now people will recognise you and you've got a big following. Yeah, I mean, like the numbers and stuff. I don't, I, I don't focus that. Like, if if this was me ten years ago, I would have loved having the numbers. I would have loved having kind of the reach I've had on the book and stuff. But right now, for me, um, all all I think the thing that kind of gets me up in the morning every single day is that I can I can make the world a better place. I can kind of alleviate some of the suffering in some way. And that's all I try and focus on. So it's great having the numbers and it's great people knowing who you are and interacting with you. Like, don't get me wrong. No one's going to be like, oh my God, I don't, I don't like that people say nice things about me. Mm, everyone it's, likes yeah. to feel worthy and appreciated. Exactly. Yeah. If, you know, it's all great. But for me right now, you know, I've, I, I feel like I've found a higher purpose. And um, I do believe at, in kind of some way that it's very difficult to be happy all the time. Now, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people talk about being eternally kind of happy and they talk about sustaining happiness for your whole life by rising to higher levels of consciousness. Mm-hmm. I've met a lot of amazing people who are really happy most of the time, but I've also seen sides of them which make them very human as such um mm-hmm. people that do kind of get triggered sometimes so i don't think i've met and i've met a lot of almost like holy people i've met a lot of yogis right. i've met a lot of people that have a persona around them um mm-hmm. and that are almost branded as being these perfect people mm. that never get upset but i've seen those very same people get upset so i'm not with my work, I'm not trying to push that narrative that you can be happy all the mm. time. My kind of aim is that you can create a life that you love and it all starts with loving yourself. And I don't mm. know, and that's probably because I'm not there, but I don't know if you can have this kind of perfect life when you're where you're constantly happy. I'm still yeah. growing as a person myself. Um, although I do feel happy, I would say 90 percent of the mm. time or 95 percent of the time i don't i don't really know i do get my days where sometimes i might question things or someone might mm-hmm. do something because even in my world you know someone might kind of like use and abuse me or they might steal money from me in some way or mm-hmm. they might take treat advantage. me yeah take advantage and it's it's very natural then to to feel hurt by that um yeah and there are days that i do although i try to reframe stuff and i think it's become more natural for me to reframe mm. certain situation events and even people's actions I don't I'm not harsh or I don't you know punish myself if I Mm. if I'm not happy if I don't feel good 
Because I, I used to do that. I used to re- so I wrote a book called Confidence: The Secret. So then I kind of felt like a noose around my neck of I must always be confident because I've wrote that book. Right. And then I would go on jobs in where it was uh, with other girls, like group jobs, and I would be the only person with a facial disfigurement, and I would feel really unconfident and not feel attractive, and it, it would be hard to do the job because I just would feel ashamed. And I said, I can't experience these emotions publicly or tell anyone because my book's in the charts and it's all about confidence and I've got to go and promote it on a TV show and it it became really lonely and it was something I talked about with my therapist and then I understood it and I set myself free and I allowed myself you know to experience these things Um, but you know sometimes that branding and labeling can can be a difficult balance as well because like you said you are just a normal person yeah and that's how you know I'm always gonna perceive myself anyway as as a normal person even with you know the labels that kind of give me an identity or create clarity you know the mind coach the author the lifestyle Mm. entrepreneur I've just realized they're just labels they don't represent who I am deep down my my true Mm. nature um so sometimes I'll introduce myself and I've become very confident and comfortable by just saying I'm just a guy that tries to make people feel good. Now, in my community, if I said that five years ago and I didn't have a book to my name or I didn't have maybe the reach that I've created, people would mm-hmm. judge me and be like, well, basically, he's a bum. He's a failure. Yeah, they wouldn't respect yeah, it. Yeah, they wouldn't yeah. respect yeah. it. And they, they did that for quite a few years because, you know, I used to be in a very um, kind of secure corporate job. You know, I was taking... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's so different to who you are yeah, now. Yeah, it was, it was kind of like you, you need to go to university, you need to get a degree and... You know, you need to follow these certain milestones to lead a successful life. And then Mm -hmm. I realized that, well, if someone's telling me how my life should look like, it's not my life, it's their life or how they think Mm -hmm. life should look like. Um, And then I just thought, you know what, I've got this dying kind of urge to help people and I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it somehow. And I was always naturally drawn to quotes. I'd have quotes all over my room. I'd Mm -hmm. constantly write. So even when I was younger, when I was 15, like even before journaling became a thing, I would write. I would write my about my emotions, and this is what I'd done with my book. I, unusual for a guy, as well. It was very unusual. So you know, I'd, you know, my friends would kind of rip me on on the playground in in school and whatnot. And I was I was part of a group, um, or part of a little little crew. So I had started writing lyrics, and I also started writing poetry. And that mm. was because I was a big fan of Tupac Shakur, who's a rapper. I used uh, to love Tupac. Yeah, yeah, so he's like a great guy, and I realized that. Although he was kind of personified as this thug, he was actually a very mm. deep person that had a lot of wisdom. Yeah. Political and very, very intelligent. Political. Yeah, yeah, and extremely yeah. intelligent. Um, and his poetry book was like life-changing for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I realised that I, ha- I did have this passion for writing and I was always mm. writing emotions. And although mm. I want there to be key messages there that people can take away, and although I want all this ancient wisdom to be accessible to your kind of everyday person... I just want to, I want to be real with myself. I want to be honest. And there's a lot of stuff I've written in the book that I spoke to my mum about before I was writing it. And she said, please don't put that in the book. And I said, why? And she goes, oh, really? she said it's embarrassing. <laughs> because they're a different generation. Yeah. They're, they're told to be, to be private. Yeah. And we're told to be authentic yeah. and to share, to help one another. But they're not sharing in that generation. No. It's very formal and there's a lot of pride. Isn't yeah, it? a lot different. of pride. And there's this whole thing that what will other people think of us or think of me? Mm-hmm. And if someone thinks something of me, it reflects on my whole family, especially mm. in my culture. That's mm. how we were kind of grown up so for example if you didn't become a doctor dentist accountant or a lawyer 
mm. you're basically deemed a failure and then mm. that 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 failure is then kind of attached to the whole family tell me about your career in between childhood and being you know mr good vibes there was like a whole fashion music yeah. there was a lot of stuff tell me about that so I was, you know, I'm a big fan of music. I love listening to music. And then when I was younger, I just started making music in my bedroom. I started downloading music production software. I realized I couldn't really rap. I could write, but I couldn't rap. So I thought Mm. I'd make beats. Um, And I was just making beats in my bedroom. And then before you know it, I ended up on like BBC One Extra when I was like 16, 17 years old, which was Mm -hmm. a massive thing. A confidence boost to believe in yourself, to keep going. Yeah, because it was just like, you know, I'm just a normal, regular kid who's, um, you know, suddenly on radio and then I ended up in a magazine and things were things were going well with the music and I was I was making music throughout uni and then after uni, but then after... What did you study at uni? So I st- studied business information systems, which then kind of changed to business information management. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of just done it because I was good at IT um, and I was interested in business. Um, but I kind of... I found it quite easy, although my exam results probably don't reflect that. I did find the the degree itself quite easy. I just didn't apply myself um, Mm. that much. And the same kind of happened when I went into a corporate job. So I went into... What was the corporate job? So I was a systems analyst. Mm -hmm. The funniest thing was when I graduated for my university degree, on the day of my graduation, my mum said, by the way, so what did you study again? Because... She was there. She Cheers, was... mum. It was only for you. <laughs> yeah. She was just like, I don't, you did something to do with IT, right? I was like, don't worry about it, mum. But it's the same with my kind of job. It was like, you know, it was this kind of technical, analytical kind of job where I was, you know, looking after certain performance systems for actually the train line for, uh, for Network Rail. Um, mm-hmm. But one thing my manager said, and it was very true at the time, was that I wasn't engage I wasn't stretching myself mm-hmm. after a little while into my job I decided that I was going to create a clothing line because I was really into fashion at the same time so I've, I, and this entrepreneurial vibe this entrepreneur yeah so everything I was doing you know, I was trying to get it all together and I thought and I still wanted to live with some kind of purpose so I decided mm. to create a clothing brand that would also be inspirational mm-hmm. so this is how everything else comes and you might find this interesting But Mm -hmm. when I had the clothing brand, I realized that no one was buying the clothes and I needed to market it in some way. Mm -hmm. And at the time, Instagram had just come up. So I didn't have any money. So I left, I kind of left my job on a random, really random day. I handed my notice in. I was just like, I've just had enough. I need to go and do something else. Quite brave. Yeah, it was very brave. And I I always Mm. say to people that you can take risks, but it's good, always good to take a calculated risk. So maybe have mm. a set amount of earnings if you are going to transition into your passion. Yeah, measured risk. Yeah, yeah. I didn't do yeah. that. I literally had spent all my money. I didn't have that much in the bank. I literally just thought, you know what, I'm just going to go out there and I'm just going to believe in myself. It's just, this is what you're supposed to do. Just believe in yourself, exude loads mm. of positivity and things will work out. When I handed my notice in, he said, um, Vex, you don't sound passionate about helping people. That's because I didn't discuss it in work. And I was just like, why, right. why is he telling me that I'm not passionate about helping people when he doesn't know me? But um, he, he said that to me. But I guess he was angry and, and he put his emotions on He was, and, 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 that's, and that's what it was. He was he was angry and he had his own pressures as a, as a manager. Mm. And, you know, he's such a great guy, if I'd be completely honest with you. Um, so there was no kind of, uh, like, you know, hatred or anything or animosity towards him when he said it. I think at the time, though, I, I did laugh it off, but then it kind of haunted me 
few months after, he said to me that when I left this job, I was on a great salary, I had a great career progression. But when I left this job to kind of um, go and find this purpose in life, I was actually going to end up depressed and he wouldn't be surprised if I hung myself and then posted about it on Facebook a few months later. He said that to you. Yeah, he said, he said that to me. Here's, here's a quote for you. Someone told me this once. Everybody is put in your life to inspire you and some people are put in your life to inspire you to be absolutely nothing like them. I love that. And it's really good, <laughs> isn't amazing. it? I think that's really true because he sounds so terrible and negative and so jealous. And, it, and that he's an inspiration I, to be nothing like yeah, him. Yeah, well, I couldn't believe when he said that. But the funniest thing was I was I still had this cheek and, cheeky nature in me. So I kind of just laughed in his face when he said it. But I still remember it because I was thinking, like, how could someone just say that to me? Because he's a real chip on his shoulder. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then when my f- business started failing, I started thinking about that comment and I started to believe the doubt yeah so I believe in it and then I thought I'm I'm never gonna you know go back to kind of taking my own life because I'd moved on from Mm. there and I said to myself after that event um after the you know when I kind of survived and when I was fortunate enough to overcome that in a kind of in a in a great way I I said to myself that I would never go back to that dark Mm. place ever again but I did this thought played on my mind this comment played on my mind and I said to myself what if I am a failure what if nothing will happen and then I said to myself Mm. wait no I need to get rid of that mind chatter and that's when I I think I started my truer self-love journey and that's when I started meditating um and then what I kind of realized I started getting inspiration from places and I realized that there was a way to market my brand for free And that was using the internet. I read a quote somewhere and it just came up because I was reading loads of books during that period. And the quote said basically that if your business doesn't um, appear on the internet or if your business isn't on the internet, it basically doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's terrible. I feel like that about people now. I'm like, if you're not on Instagram, <laughs> you you're dead. <laughs> right. It's, it's so true, though, because in, the internet plays such a massive role now. And I thought, yeah. and I thought, right, I need to take advantage of this. So I started reading all these marketing textbooks and I realized that they were kind of outdated because they weren't taking into account how big the internet is now. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to promote my clothing brand on Instagram. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I started going right on Instagram. I started um, finding accounts that had a big following. And back then a big following was like 60 to 70 K yeah, in the beginning, yeah. definitely. So yeah. I was just like, oh, yeah. this page is great. So I contacted them and I said, would you be interested in posting this picture? It'd fit in with the theme of your page. Um, and, you know, it, it probably is really high quality. And then they replied to me and they said, we've got loads of celebrities following this page. And, you know, we've got loads of followers and you're, you're, you're bound mm-hmm. to make sales. But this is how much we charge for single posts. So I thought to myself, right, I'm just going to have to pass and say no. So I decided mm-hmm. to create my own Instagram page. And I created a page that was basically an open vision board. So a vision board acts like a, yeah, yeah. a space with all your goals. And I thought, you know what, Instagram's yeah. got loads of, you know, it's all about pictures. So why not create an open, a public vision board with loads of amazing images of what people could achieve in their life. Mm-hmm. And then every now and again, I would post a picture of my clothing brand to fit in with the theme because it was all around like right. luxury and lifestyle. And then before you know it, I had 100K followers 
I had wow from all the marketing and just connecting, yeah, and just and connecting, networking. Yeah. Um, I had like people like Scott Disick following me, um, like yeah. famous rappers, and it was great. But I realised they weren't translating to sales. I would get like one sale and in my head, I expected my whole store to sell out when I'd posted, mm-hmm. but that wasn't the case. But then what I realized was I was actually getting, um, it was, I created an avenue for marketing because then I'd have other mm-hmm. brands contact me saying mm-hmm. they'd pay me X amount if they could post their um, products to my page. The entrepreneurship coming out. Now I'd kind of secured myself financially through advertising. Mm-hmm. And I was spreading positivity, but at the same time, I felt like something was missing. So this one luxury page I had, every now and again, I would post a quote and I'd talk about how true wealth was basically within your mind. But those Mm -hmm. posts didn't do as well because people were used to seeing luxury images, not quotes. And And that's what they were there for. Yeah, that's what they were there for. So then I created this other page and it was actually called Wealthy Words. And this page Mm -hmm. was quite successful as well. But I I think I was one of the first people, and I'm not going to make this claim because I might be wrong, but I remember not seeing it on other pages at the time. But when I created this page, what I would do is I'd post a quote and then I'd elaborate on the quote because mm-hmm. there's all these cool and quirky phrases, but what people don't realise is that there's depth behind those particular words. Yeah, there's almost... I mean, your Instagram, I always... I, I use your Instagram a lot, you know, I read it daily and it is like a book and, you know, it was what inspired me to buy your book oh. because you are a writer and, you know, you can tell from your caption... It's your voice. It's you. Um, in fact, rather <laughs> selfishly, I have the book with me now. I've actually folded over some pages that I wanted to ask you about because oh, yeah, sure. um, they're they're just things that I really I read it and I was like, that's really interesting. That really stands out to me. Um, so there's one here that says, "Stay clear of gossip and drama. Drama is for TV, not for real life. Don't play a part in someone else's episode in which they are only the star." I like that. Yeah. Um... It actually kind of resonates with my past because I would always be involved in drama or some kind of negativity. And I almost felt like sometimes I had to. For example, if someone says something to my friend, although like you think, yeah, if if, if, you, if that's your friend, you should kind of stick up for them. Mm. I would kind of take the front foot and I'd be like, well, you can't speak to my friend like that. And I'd, I'd just get caught in this whole kind of negative. Unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. And it was it was more draining than anything. It wasn't very empowering. And then if I think back to how my life looked back then, it wasn't too great. Mm-hmm. And then when I actually finally decided to retire from all this kind of drama and decide to just do my own thing mm-hmm. and just focus on kind of positivity and doing good and taking empowering actions I realized that my life actually started looking much better and improving yeah yes okay I want to ask you about your relationship actually because you know you're married um I've I've worked with your wife before we worked on a beauty campaign together and she's very successful in her own right um definitely she is would I call her a beauty blogger is that right what what would you say she's a YouTuber, I think, is probably the best way to... Mm-hmm. It's, it's so hard to define people now with what, what they do on social media. Because I, I remember asking her, said, I think I was filling something else, and I said, what should I put as your title? Mm. And she said, just put YouTuber down. I just got oh, over 2 million followers on YouTube. So, yeah, over 2 million on yeah. YouTube and 
Yeah, quite a few of us. And it's kind of in the beauty industry and, and makeup and that kind yeah. of stuff. And and I met her on a job to do a makeup brand. We worked together. And I always see on both your pages, you're really supportive of each other's work and, you you know, you leave comments. And I always think it's it looks like such a healthy, loving um, relationship. But I wondered if there was... Because, you know, in that world, because I work in the beauty world to an extent, yeah. you know, and there's often lots of pressure for young women, particularly women, to look a certain way. Do you ever find with your message of self-love and, and the empowerment kind of ideals, do they clash with your wife and, and her world of beautifying or do they complement? You know, how does how does it work? I think um, over the years we've actually started meeting towards this kind of middle ground mm. where we're actually quite running parallel with each other because I think mm-hmm. over the years as well she's realized and she talks about this on her page where she joined YouTube just to share her passion which was mm-hmm. doing doing makeup it was almost like she she never really did makeup for other people she, the the kind of and she never really wears makeup around the house or around mm-hmm. me even it's only when we go out but she was just passionate about about makeup and kind of creating certain looks and she went on she joined youtube just to share that passion with other people and then suddenly you know her f- subscribers start growing and she's exposed to a lot of people and then suddenly trolling starts coming and people actually start comparing her to other people and start mm-hmm. you know talking about her body and start talking about her kind of flaws that they perceive yeah this all happens online to men and women doesn't it yeah and it it becomes very challenging and then she's gone through her own mental health journey and realized how important self-love is and Mm -hmm. I always feel like as as a partner you can be saying all these messages but when you go into your relationship even with me I don't go into my relationship as a coach I don't no. try and lecture her. I just turn up as a husband and try and support her. Just be vexed. Yeah, and just be yeah. me. So sometimes she'll come to realise things that I might have been talking about on my page maybe three or four years ago. And mm. that's fine because we're all on our own journeys. And there'll be certain yeah. things that I've learnt from her as well. What I think is healthy in a relationship is holding that space for healing and always understanding the other person and understanding mm. that, you know, neither of us are perfect and we're all wounded a little bit to an extent emotionally mm. and we need That's to hold message. that space for each other and help each other rise we but- talked a lot right about how you you help other people and how you are in your relationships and you know how your books you know your your books an international bestseller so it's helped thousands of people you've never even met but I want to end the interview with asking about you because actually sometimes when you're such a giver and such a helper, you, you sometimes can put all the, the energy and the efforts into that. What are the things in life that make you feel good? I'll be honest, one thing, and I think this is why I'm, I, you know, I always talk about purpose, is one thing that I really, really do feel good, and this is my kind of contradictory question, but I actually feel really good helping people and seeing people mm-hmm. win, people see, seeing seeing people smile. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've beak or Tupac. Um, <laughs> of so, course you yeah. have. What sort of dog is it? <laughs> so the funniest thing is it's a toy poodle. So Oh, cute. Okay. It's, yeah. It's a very loving and tiny dog. Yeah. Um, it was. It, I actually promised my wife I'd get her a, a dog for her thirtieth birthday, and Aww. so yeah, that's the reason I'll be kind of. 
got the dog. But um, I just enjoy the small things, um, mm. you know, going on a walk with him and my wife or spending time with my wife mm. and my family. Well, it's what you said at the beginning of the interview. You enjoy the present tense, I guess. That's yeah, what that is, and, isn't and it? That's all it is, is just taking in life as it's happening. I think that's mm. the most important thing. Vex, you have been so great. It's been so good to finally sit down with you. Well, sit down remotely with you and talk to you. Thank you. You've been extraordinary. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Extraordinary People in partnership with Acast and Priority on O2. O2 customers can check into Priority Weekly for their latest fix of offers and content to help them look good, feel good and do good. To get Priority, download the app from your relevant app store or text Priority to 2020. If you haven't already, don't forget to review us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.